You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Uh, welcome everybody to episode three of MSP 1337. Today, we're going to be talking about endpoint, uh, securing the endpoint. And today on the show, I, I'd like to welcome Chad Holstead of Business Knowledge Systems. Welcome, Chad. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you be, uh, letting me be here today. So we've had this conversation, and I, I feel like I say this on every episode, we've had this conversation. I think that's probably the nature of managed services is we really don't talk about anything net new. It's more of uh, how do we uh, create more of the tactical approach to solving problems with what we've been talking about in conversation. The 10,000 foot level now has to get down to, uh, you know, boots on the street. So today, um, you know, we wanted to sort of talk about, you know, what does it mean to secure the endpoint? Because we spent all of this time over the last five to 10 years and longer on securing devices as they live inside the four walls of an office space. And while we've had uh, device security outside of the office become something that we we provide to our clients. It has never been amplified like it has over the last six months with COVID. So today we want to talk about, you know, we've got the 20 employee office that now has become the 20 offices that each have one employee. And what does that look like when we think about securing the end user or the device? You know, where do we start and stop with those support tactics? And I actually, I think to, to kind of circle back, you're, you're right. We've gone from one office with 20 to 20 offices with one. But where do you start largely depends on the conversations you've had with that business owner. Because some business owners, although we see it as 20 offices, they still only see it as one with 20 remote workers. Right. So treating it as 20 remote workers or are we seeing treating it as 20 offices? As far as security goes, that's a big difference. And in our world right now, when we talk to our customers, we're trying to decide, you know, for the last 10 years, like you talked about, we've been working towards a, a mobile workforce for productivity reasons. In the last six months, we've gone to a mobile workforce for health reasons. But our approach to mobile workforces, as far as our industry is concerned, you know, they used to be productivity. They could work from anywhere, right? And stay productive. Now, are we putting, do we have to put device security over production? That's the question that we're answering our, asking our customers right now. Well, this gets into what I like to coin is, you know, flip, flip the office upside down, right? So we spent for decades, it's how, how, how well defined is my, uh, office infrastructure. How many racks and cabinets do I need in my office with servers running, you know, different business line applications, et cetera, uh, versus today, you know, they're living in some sort of cloud system, right? Microsoft 365, G Suite, you name it, there's everything's built on the cloud. What is largely different, I think, than five, six years ago 
is the idea that I would need to keep it in my office in order to keep it secure. Uh, we've used a lot of language over the years that says, well, I'll never let it leave my office because my office, I can touch it, feel it. I can lock the door at night. And then we started seeing the sophistication of ransomware and malicious threat actors uh, prove that there's really no true secure space that we just control because we have it and can touch it. Uh, we now have to actually rely on those that have much deeper pockets for securing uh, those cloud environments because we've, we've learned over the years that they actually can secure a lot of this stuff better than, than we can, at least, at least individually. So I think as we start down this path, I think we're both on the same page of this isn't necessarily about how much security we need to put on an endpoint. It's about being able to understand and clearly define what data can be accessed from where who has access to it, and what does that look like as we, we go through this, whether it's a remote office or a Starbucks, uh, those things haven't changed. We've just really increased the volume for our clients doing it all at the same time. Yeah, and you know the other piece, you know, when you go along with that, do we, uh, do we talk to our customers do we allow them Starbucks? Do we allow them public Wi-Fi's? Do how far do we secure their devices? Right. So we can we can take a device and we can say, okay, here's your device, and here are the five Wi-Fi networks you can connect to, and one of them is your mobile hotspot. So don't ever go to a, a Starbucks, right? Right. Part of it isn't just also the securing the device or our data. And you're right. Let's okay, Microsoft 365. You enable 2FA, you can't download data, you know, you can access it from anywhere, but you can't move any data around. That works. Um, the other piece of it though is how much, what responsibility do we have to keep the user safe? You know, what kind of user training do we need to provide kind of thing? And it, we can go round and round on that. Um, well, we need I to just, provide some training, right? Because I think that's part of, well, not part of, the, the, the biggest risk or the biggest security flaw we have in any one system is the fact that we have people using these systems. Yeah, you know, the, what's, what's the kind of the, the joke is the worst security that we have is the one with the heartbeat, right? Right. Um, but we can protect them from themselves too. You know, you shouldn't really go, I don't know about you, but I don't use a public Wi-Fi unless I have to, unless I have no, no hotspot available. Um, and even then you have a VPN, you know? So I'm really finding my job lately less about the tools and more about the conversations and the risks, you know? So a, a, a big, large of our customers are banks and financial institutions, right? So we don't even let them have mobile devices or laptops. You know, they can't check their email from their mobile device. Uh, well, the executives are, and they've all signed a waiver right? Kind of sure. thing. Um, so we don't allow remote access. And if you do have remote access, you're doing it into a BDI or remote desktop type terminal. Then you have other customers that don't have the data security requirements that a bank does. There's no PII. They have, they're a manufacturing company. And yes, it's proprietary data, but not private data. There's a big difference. Well, I think you're also getting into what is today, say, with your unique example being, say, the extreme, you know, case of how locked down does the data need to be versus what I think 
um, you know, 36 months from now, we may have that same level of restrictions on more or less all data, at least in the nature of how we approach securing it, how, how we handle that confidentiality, uh, integrity, and accessibility. Um, because sometimes it's not about what is on the data. It's about, say, the customer's right to access their data when they want it, right? Like, so if they're down tomorrow because of an earthquake, that still doesn't change the the rights of that end user to get that data back. So I, this kind of leads me to the sort of the next piece. We know a lot of our end users use their own personal devices. We know that a lot of... Uh, access to data is about convenience of where I'm at. So if I'm at grandma's for her 90th birthday and I need to hop on something and I don't have my computer with me, what harm is there really if I'm using sort of a, a remote terminal to get into that data if I'm not leaving a footprint uh, on grandma's computer kind of thing? I mean, we've got to consider that we're no longer about the window anymore. It's about what happens to the egress of the data, what's protecting the data. And so to your point, I was gonna just throw this out there. Maybe to your point about public Wi-Fi, one of the recommendations we can make to the audience would be, hey, when you're at home and you're doing work, why are you not treating it like public Wi-Fi? Why are you not putting yourself onto the mm -hmm. VPN? Because I think to your point about education, if we educate the end user about what is or isn't a secure environment, the reality is gonna come down to, there's no secure environment. Yeah, and their home environment is probably, especially, you know, it's one thing for myself who I have, you know, grown kids, you know, um, but for those that have younger kids that are potentially on websites that, you know, they, they stumble across, you don't know what's in your network. You know, you could, did you update your, your router at home? Could you, or do you have a hole in your router that's allowing uh, threats through? I get it. And you should treat your home network as that. Um, we get a lot of questions, you know, should I use NordVPN or that kind of stuff? Um, we work, I still think it comes down to, if you're, it's, it, it's I'm to apologize. It's always going to come down to the conversations that you have with the decision makers in that company. And for right. that company, it's a risk versus reward scenario, right? You may have that customer that comes back to you and says, I don't really give, I could not care less about security because my guys need to be on their computers 24 seven, making me money. Right. But again, you, that's a valid point. I think what's, in, what's really critical here though is from the top down, there is a recognized um, policy process procedure in place that says uh, whether it's VPN or not at home, these are the five things that you have to do or no, you do not have access to anything that is, you know, is, is corporate or, or our private uh, data. So that kind of leads us to sort of, I think the next big piece, probably the biggest piece that we can talk about. So we've, we've talked about, you know, knowing what you're securing, obviously the uh, end user really is, well, it's securing the data, right? But you're securing the data, securing, you're, the data. you're securing access to the data. Correct. If they're and, allowed to put data on their C drive, then you have to secure the device, right? If they're and only it, putting it on Microsoft 365, then you secure access. Right. So it's, uh, it, again, the confidentiality, integrity, and accessibility. And those are just yep. kind of, as you step through it, just kind of use that on each layer. How does it apply? How does it apply? Because 
if we do that, you've covered a major component of what does it mean to secure that end user or the data at wherever it's located. And then the second part I think really gets into, um, does everybody, is everybody operating on the same page, right? So we, we've got this protocol in place. Are we putting the right information in front of our employees to make sure they understand what those requirements are? And then again, that leads right into the third one, which is how are we going about and doing the education? Yeah. And that one is where I think my team right now is spending the majority of their, 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 their time. Um, because you know, what are we educating up against? Because well, some people will tell you, well, agreed, but is, is, is fishing training enough for education? No. Is requiring them to watch a, a cyber security video once a week enough? Probably not, but it's probably more than enough for most end users, right? Kind of thing. It, it's, it, it's a tough balance because at that same point too, You've got users that are already working 60 hours a week. And now you're gonna you're gonna throw you're gonna throw their IT is trying to sabotage them kind of thing. Well, and I think it's you're you're talking about so you know, being a managed service provider, you hand a laptop to an engineer, you expect them to know how to use the laptop, right? You, yes. you, you, you know, they didn't they didn't sign or you didn't put a job posting out there that says you know, needs to be able to do uh, SQL management, some other things. And then at the bottom it says, and needs to know how to turn on a laptop or needs to know how to, those aren't things that you ask them to be able to do because it's assumed. I think though, that's where it also gets us in trouble because when we look downstream from our own employees in a, you know, this being very unique, are we applying the right protocol to what is education for these things downstream? So I'll give you an example. I'm working with a company right now who they were really proud of themselves because they use NordVPN. Um, they, you know, make it a really big deal about, you know, sort of hygiene of not leaving stuff out for people to, you know, sort of pull and, and absorb what, what information that might be valuable to somebody. And then, then the big one was like, and we use LastPass. And so this is not by any means a, a dish on LastPass. I think LastPass is a great product. I use it, um, but in the wrong hands, it can be as devastating to a company uh, as, as a pen and paper. Um, you know, if you're storing your password on a post-it note versus in LastPass, they both can have the same catastrophic effect if the understanding of how that's stored is unclear. And so I, I've got a, this client going through right now, every employee is required to go through a seven video series, seven videos uh, on how to properly use LastPass. And you don't think about it, right? Like you go, well, hey, if you know how to sign up for LastPass, you would, I would think, know how to use LastPass. We don't spend enough time educating our clients or even having clients educate their own employees on how to use the products and services that they put put in front of them. Um, mm -hmm. you, you and I mentioned talking about this before, your, your wife's in education. Um, my wife's uh, also a teacher. And it's mind boggling that we hand out computers to teachers and go, Oh, and by the way, uh, the student information system, uh, have you gone through FERPA training? Because you're going to get access to that and you can look up kids' grades and you can look up all kinds of medical records and all kinds of stuff. Has anybody talked to you about why you can't do that when it's not your student or why it's a bad idea to share the credentials that you have because you're going to be out because you're sick with the substitute teacher? I could go on and on and on. Oh, yeah. 
and it's amazing when we walk through this, how many shared credentials, you know, it's like, why are we using shared credentials in today's society? And don't get me wrong. I can tell you off the top of my head, half a dozen of our clients that are using shared credentials that I cannot talk out of it. Right. Um, Is that the, the problem? No, it's not. It's right. the conversation with them and not, and, and you, you, you have to steer them away from productivity to security. And they just don't get it and they don't want to get it. And at, at the end of the day, if they don't care, they don't care. And there's not much we can do about it. So the, that, that segues. We are steering, we are steering away from customers that don't do anything about it. I was, I was, you couldn't have, you, you might've just smacked me on the back of the head. That's literally what I would have spit out is to, that's a good segue uh, into when when do you say no as the MSP? When you've got a client that says, uh, we always will share credentials, you're not going to talk us out of it. Um, you know, especially when you get into the regulated space, right? You, you work with banking. I spent a number of years in the healthcare space and any time, you know, I, I had one practice and this is really as they were transitioning to the more digital space, they refused to close the doors on the on the medical charts. And I'm like, you got to close those doors. Like, oh, but it's so inconvenient. I mean, we literally save 60 seconds to three minutes per patient by having it open like that. I'm like, well, why aren't you pulling the charts for the schedule for the day at the beginning of the day and then closing the cabinet? Well, because this is how we've always done it. Mm -hmm. But because it was a um, parent, uh, parent-child relationship. So, uh, you know, I'm coming into the industry, mom, dad have been doing this for years. There was a little bit of resistance to the change, but after having that conversation, I think three or four times was, was about how long it took. They started realizing we're worrying about saving 60 seconds, but we could save all of those seconds times 35 patients if we just went ahead and pulled them right at the beginning of the day. Yeah. And I think that that kind of goes back to find other ways to save 60 seconds, but do it right. You know, it's, there, there are so many different ways. You know, I read an article this weekend on how to be more efficient using Outlook. I've saved myself hours in the last two days, just putting into practice that, and that has nothing to do with security. Those hours I'm spending putting in other security things, right? It, and I, we need to, as MSPs, not forget that we're there to also be their information security, their information technology provider. Right, security is to some degree still secondary because they didn't hire you for security, they hired you for productivity and efficiency. And as a result of what's trending in the news right now and the threat actors that there are, you've had to adapt and evolve to something that is probably a better model to, to you know, when we think about security, but that's not what we signed up for. And I think that's important to remember that we are good at being managed service providers. That doesn't just make us good at being security services providers. So as we're looking to, to wrap up today, I think there's a couple of things that we just need to recap. One, have a plan for what it is that you want a remote worker, regardless of telework or however you want to describe it. If they're not working out of the same four walls anymore, it's just about having your staff be on the same page for what are the expectations when they are working outside of that office. Uh, number two, uh, probably the most important one is, are you putting in place an actual uh, written document to go along with that? 
And then number three is the education piece that goes with it. And I think um, maybe I'm missing something if you, if you want to elaborate. And the only thing that I would put in there is as MSPs, we strive to get every one of our customers to be cookie cutter. That's how we become the most efficient for our business, right? You're not going to be able to do that with this. No. So have your, your ideal expectation for the remote user. And then when the only, you, the only way you get anything done is having conversations. And I'm not a big fan of the quote unquote QBRs, Sure. Uh, but I am a fan of conversations. Go have a conversation with the decision maker, get them to agree to some sort of, your stack, your, your ideal remote worker, right? Yep. Then put a document together for that customer and make your team follow that and make their team follow it is going to be the best way that I can tell you to go forward. You know, I, I read this article this morning and it was like, these are the 13 things you should have in your checklist for your remote workers. And I started thinking about that and I go, is it 13? Is it 30? Is it five? Um, It's going to be different for each business based on the industry that they're in, based on any number of things. Um, But what was really valuable that I took away from the article was, do you have a checklist? Do you have something in place with your employees, with your clients that says, uh, if A is happening, B, C, and D have to be executed on. And if not, then we're just going back to, you know, episode one, how do you get, how do you get a ransomware attack on your business? Episode two, we talked about phishing simulations and phishing attacks. You're not going to avoid those things happening in your business. If you don't have a plan in place and educating your end users on what to do to be secure. Correct. So, uh, So Chad, uh, as we close out today, uh, tell our audience members uh, where they can find you. I know you've got a, a regular um, publishing on LinkedIn uh, weekly. A little last last couple of weeks, but yeah. So you can find us on social media at BKS-Systems, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, we are attempting to go live once a week, um, typically going to be on the th- Tuesday afternoons around one o'clock, excuse me, Tuesday Thursday afternoons around one o'clock. We go live for 15, 20 minutes, depending on who joins us. Um, and the topics will range on what the weather's like to cybersecurity. You know, uh, probably talk about this a little bit tomorrow, kind of conversation, remote workers. Um, we try to feed in a lot of productivity and or um, what's the latest, greatest, cool technology. You know, coming up with Christmas, I'm sure we'll add a little bit of that in there. But you can find us Thursdays at one o'clock on BKS-Systems um, and hopefully find you guys all there. Well, Chad, thanks again for joining us on this episode of MSP 1337. For those of you that happen to be members of MSP Ignite, be looking for the upcoming town hall where we will be talking about control number five and securing endpoints. And with that, have a good week. Thank you. You have a good week.